Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Jesus was too weak uh, from just loss of blood, as you can imagine, all the trauma. And so he's, he's dropped to uh, his knees there, and now they're putting this on Simon to carry it. Uh, likely the cross beam of the cross, still very, very heavy. Verse 27, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, and which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days, for, the, um, for behold, the days are coming, in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that have never bare, and the paps which have never uh, gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall they do, uh, what shall be done in the dry? And so uh, if they do this in in the good times, what's going to happen in the bad? Go on, verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Um, These are criminals. Verse 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they, um, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. And let's read verse 34 aloud together. Ready? Begin. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, would you guide us in your word tonight? We have come here because we uh, need you, we need one another, we need your church. Lord, you made this wonderful body uh, for us to be strengthened within, for us to serve within, for us to learn how to live joyfully uh, before your presence in this, uh, this evil world. And so we pray that you would help us tonight. Would you meet each need that's represented? I pray that no one would go home uh, without uh, having a personal encounter with you. Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us. We need your word, and so guide us, we pray. Be with the children as well as the teens. We ask that you administer to each heart and anyone that does not know you as Savior. Lord, we do not ask this idly. I pray that anyone on this property tonight that does not know you as personal Savior, I pray that they come to know you tonight by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the anguish of our Savior as we go into this Easter season uh, is really indescribable. As we think about it, uh, none of us are, are strangers to uh, the cross and to the um, preaching on the cross, but it was in the midst of that, that very anguish that Jesus was going to suffer at the cross that he would seek to pray for uh, those around him and pray for their, for their good. And so I find here in Luke 23 and verses 33 through 34, uh, as he's crucified, and we, we, we talk about the crucifixion, we have a cross here, people wear the cross around, and so many times the cross is glorified in our day, is it not? It's, it's glamorized, it's, it's, it, it's made to look pretty in different pictures, and we come to this Easter season, it's used in advertisements and so on, but the cross was a, 
was an instrument of cruelty. It was a, an instrument for, uh, used to put to death the worst of criminals. We all understand that when we stop and think about it, but it's so easy in our culture just to kind of glorify the cross. But it was not a pretty picture in any way. It was an emblem of great agony. Uh, to die by crucifixion was one of the worst deaths, if not the worst death, that a human could be put through. And so Jesus was going through that, yet it was at the cross that he demonstrates what I would say is, is pure, the purest love that a person could demonstrate. I mean, the most sincere love. And we'll see that tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture just briefly. I want you to notice in verse number 33, when we talk about Calvary and when we talk about Golgotha, when we talk about the crucifixion, we're talking about a place of life-crushing agony. The agony that Jesus was going to be put through, yes, as man, but and also as God, the God-man, he felt all of this. The agony that he would be put through would be excruciating, would be indescribable. The Bible outlines this in Isaiah 53 and verse number 3, that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And here it says, Surely it borne our griefs and carried our souls. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him. Now get this, you talk about agony, the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You think about the iniquity of your life and of my life times trillions of people. And all that being laid upon the shoulders, what a dark moment in human history uh, that, that it was. It was an awful, awful moment. I, uh, I've, I've shared this before in other times, a, a video of a, of a doctor sharing uh, his perspective of the crucifixion, but I found from Dr. Uh, Truman Davis from 1965, written in the Arizona, uh, uh, an article for the Arizona Medicine, uh, and it's a lengthy read, but I, I think as we go into this Easter season, may the Lord just warm our hearts or tenderize our hearts with this account from a doctor's perspective of the crucifixion, the physical trial of Christ begins in Gethsemane with one of the initial aspects of his suffering, the bloody sweat. It is interesting that the physician's group, uh, a physician of the group, Luke, is the only one to mention this. Luke's biblical account tells of Jesus' suffering and being in anguish. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Though rare, the phenomenon of Hematodrosis, a bloody sweat, is all documented. Under great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, thus mixing blood with sweat. This process alone could have produced marked weakness and possible shock. After the arrest in the middle of the night, Jesus was brought um, before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas and the high priest. One of the soldiers struck Jesus across the face for, the rema- uh, for remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. The palace guards taunted Jesus to identify them as uh, they each passed by and spat on him and struck him in the face in the early morning. Jesus, battered and bruised and dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, is taken across Jerusalem to the praetorium 
of the fortress of Antony. It was there in response to the cries of the mob that Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus to scourging and crucifixion. Preparations for the scourging are carried out. Jesus is stripped of of his clothing and his hands tied to the post above his head. The Roman legionnaire steps forward with a flagrum in his hand. This is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two um, small balls of lead attached near the end of each. The heavy whip is brought down with full force across Jesus' shoulders, back, legs 39 times. At first, the heavy thongs cut only the skin. Then, as blows continue, they cut deeper and deeper into the, uh, into the tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins and of the skin, and finally spurting arteries, um, bleeding from the, on the vessels and the underlying mu- muscles. The small balls of lead per, um, per, uh, first produce large, deep bruises, Uh, which are uh, broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin is brought, uh, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons and the entire area is unrecognizable mass of torn bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating finally stops. The half-fainting Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet in his own blood. The the Roman soldiers see a great joke in the provincial Jew claiming to be a king. They throw a robe across his shoulders and place a stick in his hand for a scepter. A small bundle of flexible branches uh, covered with long thorns uh, is pressed into the scalp of Jesus. Again, there is copious bleeding, the scalp being one of the most vascular areas of the body. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take the sticks from, uh, from his hand and strike Jesus across the head, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. Finally, the soldiers tire of their sadistic sport and the rope is torn from, uh, the robe is torn from his back. This has already become adherent to, uh, in the clots of blood, in the serum, in the wounds, and it is removal just as and in its removal, just as careless removal of the surgical bandages causes excruciating pain, almost as though it were, he were being whipped again and the wounds again uh, began to bleed. Jesus then is led off to be crucified. The heavy beam of the cross, and uh, with the heavy beam of the cross, are then uh, tied to his shoulders. And the procession of the condemned Christ, two thieves, and the execution detail begin its slow journey. The weight of this on the heavy wooden beam together with a shock produced by the copious blood loss is too much. Jesus stumbles and lacerates the skin and muscles of his shoulders. Jesus tries to rise, but his human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground and Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders pressed against the wood. The legionnaire feels the de- um, for the depression in the front of the wrist. He then drives a heavy uh, wrought uh, iron nail uh, through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arm too tightly, uh, but to allow some uh, flexion and movement. The beam is then lifted into place at the top of the post and the title is reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed in place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot 
and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each. As Jesus pushes himself upward towards, uh, uh, to avoid uh, the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is a searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the martarsal uh, bones of the feet. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in a deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by the, arm, uh, by the arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in, uh, in order to get one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide begins to build up in the lungs and in the blood stream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, Jesus is able to push himself upward to exhale and to bring in the life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent par partial asphyxiation, searing pain as the tissues uh, as it, uh, the tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the raw timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain in his chest as the pericardium slowly begins to fill with serum and begins to compress the heart. The compressed heart is struggling to pump uh, heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic esper, uh, uh, effort to grasp gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps in John 19, 28, I thirst. Jesus can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. One, uh, with one last surge of strength, he once again presses his, to uh, his torn feet against the nail. He straightens his legs, takes a deep breath, and utters the seventh and last cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Apparently, to make double sure of death, the legionnaire drove his spear through the fifth inner space between the ribs, upward through the pericardium and into the heart. Immediately, there came out blood and water. We therefore have conclusive, uh, conclusive postmortem evidence that Jesus died, not the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but of heart failure due to the shock and the constriction of the heart by the fluid of the, uh, in the pericardium. Thus, we have a glimpse of the manifestation of evil which man can exhibit toward man and toward God. This medical description of what Jesus endured on the cross is apt to leave you hopeless and depressed. How, how grateful you can be that he did this just for you. Just for you. And this being showing you a glimpse of how far Jesus went to win your heart. Jesus said he gave up the ghost. He did it willingly. And I find here tonight that he was in complete and total agony. And as we go into the Easter season, we, we know how the story ends. Aren't you thankful for that? But he told us, and as we will celebrate in the next couple of weeks, the Lord's table, he told us this do in remembrance of me. We're to remember his death were to remember it. Oh, the agony to die in such a despicable way. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, 
being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. You probably read through that in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. Cursed, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. The word meaning accursed or under divine condemnation. He took your condemnation for you at the cross. You talk about agony. Not just the agony of being the pain inflicted upon him by humans, but the the curse of God laying upon him, he taking your curse for you and for me. It's an amazing thing what Jesus went through at the cross. What a life-crushing agony. But I want us to realize, and for purposes of tonight, focusing on this prayer, verse number 34, notice what, what attention Jesus gave to those around him. Notice in verse number 34, three different words I want you to notice as we, as we read this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I find it amazing that Jesus had the presence of mind to think about those around him. To pray a prayer like this. What do you focus on when you get in pain? Me, myself, and I. <laughs> I um, it's, not, it's not a true publication. It's a satire. But I, I had to laugh this week when the Babylon Bee put out a, a story about a man who caught the flu and was lying on the bathroom floor and because he had the flu thought he was near death. A man, ladies understand this, a man. So he's on the bathroom floor and near death because of this flu and he uh, got a sharpie and wrote out his last will and testament on the bathroom floor because he was going to be dying, right? Men, uh, men when they get sick, right, uh, is what they say anyway, right? Uh, men, when they get sick, they think they're going to die. And, you know, we get all focused on ourselves. Ladies get sick and they keep on, you know, keep on trucking maybe. I don't know. But anyway, it was a funny, uh, funny story. But the fact is, when we are in pain, when we're in pain, we think about ourselves oftentimes. That's natural. How can I get out of this pain? But our Lord didn't look at himself. He looked at others, and he prayed for them. He prayed for them. Uh, It's actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53 and verse 12, Therefore will I divide uh, him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Right? Right up there with the two malefactors. And notice, and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He made intercession for them. So all the way back in Isaiah, it was prophesied that Jesus would make intercession for these men who put him on the cross. I'm reminded of the old song that, uh, that a part of the chorus goes, when he was on the cross that day, I was on his mind. That's the type of Savior that we serve. And he had a love-driven attention that was focused on these that had put him on that cross. What do we take from that? What do we take from a Savior that, that loves so much that he's willing to pray for those that nailed him to the cross? I can't imagine being so hard as a soldier, uh, as an executioner, that, uh, that you'd be able to put nails through someone's nails someone to a cross like that and and then to think that Jesus would would pray for those those individuals that put him in the cross on the cross like that what are the applications we should take from this Matthew 5:44 says love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that 
hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Didn't Jesus live out that instruction? Did he not pray for those that persecuted him? And here's the application we can apply into our lives this week. Right now, we ought to apply what Jesus did in his life and exemplified for us. We should pray for our enemies even when they're deliberately injuring us. We should pray for our enemies even when they're deliberately injuring us. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. We want it to stop. It's hard to pray for those that you hate. It's hard to pray for those that you would be bitter against. And and Jesus tells us, hey, those people that persecute you, I want you to pray for them. And I I want you to bless your enemy rather than hating them and, and, and blustering against them. I want you to bless them that curse you. Jesus showed that. In fact, he went to the he went to the cross without mentioning, without mentioning words. The Bible says in Isaiah that he went there as a sheep goes to the shearers, dumb. Without words is what the word dumb. Without words. He didn't go blustering. Even on the way to the cross, you saw him reach out to those that were crying and saying, daughters, daughters. And he talks to them. That was our Lord. So we should pray for our enemies even when they deliberately injure us. Who is it that you need to pray for? Maybe that has injured you and does not care about it. Is not sorry about it at all. Who is it that you should pray for? As Jesus did. Another application would be this. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. We find that what Jesus prayed is not that he just prayed for them. He prayed that God would forgive them. And I say that we ought to apply this into our lives. We should pray with a heart of forgiveness towards our enemies even before forgiveness is requested. And by the way, I said a heart of forgiveness. We studied a few weeks ago from Matthew chapter 18 that Jesus told us that if we don't forgive from the heart, we can expect Uh, We can expect a lack of blessing in our life. If we don't forgive from the heart, we talked in that message that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus said that we were to go through our whole life with a heart of forgiveness. That desires reconciliation, that's ready for reconciliation, that's fertile ground for reconciliation. And so we ought to pray with a heart of forgiveness like Jesus did. Jesus, if those men, if one of those men had sought his forgiveness and trusted in him by faith, he would have forgiven them in that very hour. The reconciliation would have happened in that very hour. His heart was to forgive them. His heart was that they would be right. And so he prays. And in Matthew 6, 15, we find again, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father uh, forgive your trespasses. How important it is to have a heart of forgiveness in everything we do, even towards our enemies. Jesus exemplified that. We find in Luke 6 and verse number 26, Woe unto them, when men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto them that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other unto him that take away thy coat, forbid not to take thy coat also. 
And here's what we ought to do is, uh, as Jesus models this at the cross, we should embrace Christ's radically higher way of interacting with those that harm us. What did Jesus do? He didn't curse them. He didn't curse them. You talk about taking the high road. You talk about going way up and beyond. Jesus exemplified everything we need to see exemplified at the cross. We want to we wanna do tit for tat. We want to get even. They hurt us. I'm going to hurt them. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to take a higher road, take his pathway of interacting with those that hurt us. But there's a lot coming down. Even, in this, even living in this day, there's things that we are bearing every single day that others have put upon us that don't have our best interest in mind. What's the way that we interact with them? Do we desire to see them come to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation? Do we desire for them to be right with God? The Bible says, as I mentioned a moment ago, Isaiah 53 and verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The world tells us, curse those that hurt you. Get even with them. Retaliate. Get vengeance. Now Jesus calls us to a higher way of interacting. And he shows us that right at the cross, where he is not cursing them. I find in 1 Peter, in fact, why don't you turn over there with me, 1 Peter 3 and verse number 8. This passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 3 and 1 Peter 4, talks a lot about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 8, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. There's the commands. And he goes in a little bit further with that. He says, not rendering evil for evil. Not rendering evil for evil. Or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You know what God is saying right there? He's saying that if you and I will take that radically higher way of interacting with those around us that hurt us and wish us harm, he says there's a special blessing from God. You're not railing against those that rail against you. You're not rendering or offering back evil for those who have done evil towards you. You have the heart of Christ towards them. Jesus' heart was that everyone that had put him on the cross that day would be saved, would be pardoned, would be reconciled. He wanted that for them. He was dying for their sins. He was dying for the very sin of putting them on the cross. It goes on. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, 3 and verse 10. In his lips that they speak no guile, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. And the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The Lord will take care of it. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know what it all leads towards? If we do this, if we apply this in our life, there comes a moment where we can shine brightly and we can speak clearly for the Lord Jesus Christ. This 
is the reason I have hope. This is the reason I have meekness. This is the reason I don't react. Because of him. Because of him. So if Christ suffered, we should expect to suffer as well. 1 Peter 4 and verse number 1, for as much as as, uh, Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise in the same mind. Just expect it. There are going to be people that wish you harm, wish you harm for being a believer, wish you harm, and whether it is a guy who just wishes you not get the next promotion because he doesn't like your righteousness, he doesn't like your walk with God, he is convicted by your life and your testimony, and so he is doing everything he can to, to pull you back and pull you down and to trip you up. And listen, we ought to embrace a radically higher way of living and interacting with those that wish us harm, just like Christ did. But then I want us to notice this uh, as another application. We should accept that no person is beyond the love and the reach of Jesus Christ. He desires that all would be reconciled. Yes, in this moment, he desired that these that were putting them on the cross would be reconciled and that those that would, uh, those who were around Jerusalem would be reconciled. We remember the verse well that God is not slack concerning his promise. He wants all men to turn to him in repentance, does he not? Yes, even those men. He was in the world, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation he wants men to be reconciled that's why he was here he came to seek and to save that which is lost so that gets really hard when we start thinking about the people that persecute us i'm sure you're no stranger to this but it seems more and more there's there's talk of the coming looming persecution what will we do when we're facing persecutors will we revile them Will we curse them? Will we wish them an eternity in hell? Or will we have the heart of the Savior that even these can be saved? Even these God wants to bring to repentance. You know, I find here that we ought to follow in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who prayed, one who sought the forgiveness prayed for the forgiveness of these that hurt him. One that that desired to interact with them in a pleasant, kind way, even though they had not been pleasant or kind to him. One that realized that no one's beyond my love. No one's beyond this sacrifice. No one. And I think of people today in the world that we think are doing some pretty heinous things and even them not beyond the the love and the reach of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what is out ahead of us, but I know Jesus. Jesus wants us to have this type of heart, the same heart he exemplified at the cross for those that would harm us. And I hope that that would be your heart as well. You probably heard this statement before. Hurt people, hurt people. Have you heard that? Hurt people, hurt people. How do you break that? How do you break that cycle? Because each one of us have that potential. Each one of us have the potential. Jesus didn't. He was pretty hurt that day, wasn't he? He was put to death that day. What did Jesus exemplify for us? Help me out here tonight. What do you think it is that, that breaks that cycle in our lives, that helps us to get past the hurt and have the heart of Christ for someone? 
forgiveness. The heart of forgiveness. I just want to bring it back to our the reason we're doing this, this series. Jesus prayed. We don't pray for people we, we are bitter against. When we pray, we're seeking their forgiveness and seeking their best and seeking their reconciliation with God. It changes everything. It changes our heart. Friends, if there's a person that's hurt you, I challenge you over the next seven days, make a commitment that you're going to pray. You're going to pray for them. I'm not talking about praying a prayer of, you know, an imprecatory prayer from the book of Psalms. You know, I'm praying God's judgment upon them. I'm not talking about that type of prayer. Pray for them. Lord, would you forgive them? Lord, would you bring them to yourself and show them your love that you've, you, you died on the cross for their sins and for that sin? Would you help them to understand that? Pray for them over the next seven days. Just like Jesus did at the cross. Make it practical in your life. Hurt people hurt people, but I submit to us that, that prayer breaks that cycle. You know, it's so easy for us to, to let little hurts just stick. Hurts that people don't even necessarily know about, that they've done. Let them stick. And then we in turn begin to hurt other people. We in turn begin to lash out. A lot changes when we take that to the Lord in prayer and take that person to the Lord in prayer and pray for them like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Savior. And let's just commit to him right now. Uh, let's bow our heads. And if you're thinking of a person right now that's hurt you, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a, 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 a Christian friend, maybe it's a person at work that doesn't even know Christ, would you commit to the next seven days saying, I'm going to pray for them deliberately every day. I'm going to put them in a reminder on my phone. I'm going to deliberately pray for them every day. I, wanna, I want to model, I want to apply what Jesus did at the cross in my life by praying for them. Father, hurt's a real it's a reality in our lives. And you suffered so much hurt there at the cross, our minds can't even comprehend it. But you exemplified such love and such compassion, even in the middle of your anguish. We pray that you would help us to rather be vengeful or bitter in our hearts, to simply pray as you did right there at the cross. What a tremendous example you've provided for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us over these next seven days to pray for that person that, that came to mind, to pray for them, and to ask you to work in their lives. To 
ask you to bring them to a place of reconciliation, to seek their best in intercessory prayer. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to accomplish that, be willing to do that. I believe that would honor you and be a wonderful application of what you've taught us tonight. And so help us as your people to accomplish this for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's gather together for prayer tonight, and uh, we especially want to pray, mentioned on Sunday, uh, especially want to pray for the Ukrainian Bible distribution that's happening right now. And so we're going to gather together up here at the front. And so I'd like for everyone just to stand up and come, uh, come forward here, and we're going to pray together here tonight, pray as a, as a church family. And so if you find yourself towards the front here this evening, I want you to be able to look at this as well. Here this, uh, this beautiful, beautiful uh, New Testament is, and uh, so I want you to get your eyes on that. This is, uh, it, as far as I know, it's being passed out like right now, and uh, you have teams that are going over, so pass that around, and uh, feel free, we can sit on the platform, front row, uh, and let's, let's gather in. The reason we're doing this is so that we can be closer together in prayer, and uh, it makes it easier to hear.